This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, Canada's largest and most influential association fighting for the interests of Canadians as we age. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. A novel way to treat chronic pain with talk therapy, and it has some positive results in a clinical trial. And cooking for Christmas amid growing and changing COVID restrictions, I consulted food guru Lucy Waverman. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Does the pandemic have your blood pressure rising? You're not alone. New research in the U.S. shows average blood pressure readings increased as the coronavirus spread, with nearly half a million adults recording a significant rise in pressure last year compared with the previous year. Over time, increased pressure can damage the heart, the brain, blood vessels, kidneys, and eyes. The study, published in the journal Circulation, is a reminder that even in the midst of a pandemic, chronic health conditions must be managed. New eye drops offer an alternative to reading glasses. Vuity became available by prescription this week in the U.S. The once-a-day treatment can help users see up close without affecting their long-range vision so they can ditch the glasses. Nearly 90% of adults over 45 have problems with close-range vision, known as presbyopia, that typically worsens over time. The main ingredient in the medication has been used for decades to treat glaucoma. There are nine similar eye drop products in clinical development that may soon be available. It may be time to retire the phrases, it's not rocket science and it's not brain surgery. British researchers set out to find which group was smarter. They tested 329 aerospace engineers, 72 neurosurgeons, and 1,800 members of the public. They found the two professions were pretty equal when it comes to brain power, but they also found that these storied professionals are not necessarily smarter than the rest of us. The study authors conclude it may be that both neurosurgeons and aerospace engineers are, quote, unnecessarily put on a pedestal. And they called it puppy love. Oh, I guess they'll never know. 70s heartthrob Donny Osmond made a return to the stage days after being sidelined due to injury. The 64-year-old singer returned to the London Palladium where he first performed with his brothers as the Osmonds in front of the Queen in 1972. The former teen idol was unable to move following back and neck surgery, but he attributes a strong mindset in his devout Mormon faith with helping him recover. Just as Britain was set to impose new restrictions on visitors to long-term care homes, two very unusual guests turned up at a care home in Oxfordshire. Charlie and Pringle, the Humboldt penguins, 
walked around the lounge of Spencer Court greeting residents, posing by the chairs and even sitting on several laps. Until last week, there were no government restrictions on the number of friends and family members allowed to visit residents. Now they are limited to a maximum of three. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. What is the quality of the pain? Is it a, is it a, a tingling sensation? Is it a burny sensation? Is it a tight sensation? And I'm really trying to help give you the experience. Those are the kind of questions put to patients in a controversial new treatment for chronic pain. One in four Canadians over 15 lives with this condition, and it is notoriously hard to treat. Alan Gordon developed the method called pain reprocessing therapy, which relies solely on talk therapy. I reached him in Los Angeles. Pain is a danger signal, but sometimes the brain can make a mistake. It could interpret danger where there is none. And we can feel pain even when there's nothing wrong with our bodies. The pain is 100% real in these instances, but it's being caused by the brain and not the body. And more and more studies are actually finding that with many forms of chronic pain, this is what's going on. And that's what neuroplastic pain is. So you have a solution that's kind of a mind-body solution. Exactly. So we have a treatment called pain reprocessing therapy which essentially is a set of techniques that teaches the brain to turn off this false alarm. So the body is sending these normal, safe signals to the brain, but the brain is misinterpreting them as dangerous and generating pain. So pain reprocessing therapy teaches the brain to correctly interpret these signals, which turns off the pain. How does it work? What do you do? That's one of the things that we always have to do is be very thorough with making the determination of whether it's physical or whether it's neuroplastic. And everyone thinks their pain is physical. You know, when I actually had chronic back pain myself, which is how I came into all of this, and uh, I was given every diagnosis under the sun, you know, um, disc herniations, disc degeneration, kyphosis of the spine. One doctor told me I was just too tall. And while I did have all of these structural issues, none of them were responsible for my pain. I had since learned that 64% of people with no back pain have disc bulges and disc herniations. They're really just normal abnormalities. So that's one of the things we always try to do is determine whether or not the pain is structurally caused or whether it's caused uh, by the brain. So what I would do is, you know, if you had back pain while you were sitting, I would have you sit. And what I'm doing is I'm essentially giving you the experience of sitting, but through a new lens. So I'm having you pay attention to the pain, and I might ask you, uh, is the pain widespread or is it localized? I would ask you, you know, um, does the pain move around or does it stay the same? What is the quality of the pain? Is it a, it a, a tingling sensation? Is it a burny sensation? Is it a sensation, and I'm really trying to help give you the experience of paying attention to the sensation, but not with a sense of fear, not with a sense of preoccupation, not with a sense of frustration, but with a sense of authentic curiosity to explore the sensation. So that's the mindfulness piece, right? Then the second thing I'm doing is I'm constantly reinforcing this is a safe sensation, right? All it is is it's a 
widespread tingly sensation in your back and your brain is just misinterpreting these safe sensations and as if they're dangerous, but there's nothing wrong with your back. So I'm helping you reappraise the sensation through a lens of safety. And then the third thing I'm doing is really trying to lighten the mood. You know, sometimes as hard as we try, it can be difficult to pay attention to this unpleasant sensation through a lens of objective curiosity and interest. So I'll try to, you know, lighten the mood, make fun analogies, even get you to laugh. You know, if per- perhaps if you told me that the sensation is a, a you know, a, a Bernie sensation, I would say, okay, is it Bernie like B-U-R-N-Y or Bernie B-E-R-N-I-E? I might even say something like that to you, right, in the, in the middle of the exercise to try to get you to laugh or to try to, you know, break that state of intensity. And all of these things in combination can help you to attend to the pain through a new lens, through a lens of safety, through a lens of effortlessness and ease, instead of that fear and intensity, which reinforces messages of danger to the brain. On average, how many sessions of this would it take to correct? We actually just did a really big study on pain reprocessing therapy at the University of Colorado. And we got fMRI images of everyone's brains before and after. And there were 150 patients who all had chronic back pain in three different groups. And we treated the patients with pain reprocessing therapy twice a week for four weeks, so eight sessions total. And 98% of the patients improved. And amazingly, 66% of the patients ended up being pain-free or nearly pain-free in only eight sessions. How does the pain establishment view this treatment? There's a fundamental misunderstanding of chronic pain in the medical system. You know, if you look on the website for the Cleveland Clinic, one of the most prestigious hospitals in the world, it says right there, there is no cure for chronic pain. And it simply isn't true. Right now, the medical establishment views chronic pain as a function of structural issues in the body. You know, for the study that I mentioned in Colorado, these patients had had chronic pain on average for 11 years before finding the study. Many of them have seen doctors, chiropractors, physical therapists, and never learned about this approach because, understandably, the medical system comes from a biomedical perspective, and they're seeing everything through a lens of what's going on structurally. Do you need a therapist to guide you through this, or you can do some of it on your own? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of people are actually able to heal their own pain. Some people do need a therapist, someone to guide them through it. You know, it's like uh, sometimes it's easier to have someone else give you a haircut than cut your own hair because they can see things that you can't. But many people are actually able to heal their own symptoms just by learning these techniques and applying it to their own pain. Alan Gordon, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Libby. That was Alan Gordon of the Pain Psychology Center in L.A. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, the cooking quandary of another COVID Christmas. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, where you can meet like-minded people fighting for a new vision of aging. Find out more at carp.ca. Thousands 
thousands of people are rethinking holiday plans because of the rampant Omicron variant. Hosts are cutting back, guests are canceling, and it's all up in the air. How to decide what to cook? I consulted cookbook author and food columnist Lucy Waverman. With everything in such a state of flux, I don't know if I want to have a small turkey, a capon, or a duck. Well, it is in a state of flux. Um, I mean, we don't know whether we'll be spending Christmas with our family or not at this point. So it could be twosomes, foursomes, you know, over Christmas once again. And because of that, um, having a big turkey, however much like leftovers, is probably uh, too big a deal. I, I I think we have to kind of go down. <laughs> and for me, um, I love duck. And uh, if you can get a duck, it feeds to it overfeeds two, um, and uh, feeds three beautifully, and feeds four uh, moderately. If you've got lots of side dishes, I've seen a lot of recipes for duck. And they refer to a five or a six pound duck, which I think sounds big, no? Um, if you can get a five pound duck or a six pound duck, that's great. Um, I wouldn't go bigger than that in size because I think they toughen up. These recipes say uh, four people. Well, yeah. Depends how big a eaters your four people are. <laughs> In my family, not so much. In other families, probably fine. I mean, the problem is with ducks is that they don't, they have a big carcass. Um, and so they don't have as much meat on them as, let's say, a five-pound capon or even a five-pound chicken. Okay, the last time I ordered a capon, it was nearly 10 pounds. I know. That, um, one of the, the issues is that they've started to be, the capons are being bred larger. They used to be like seven pounds tops, Right. Um, but you can, they're breeding them larger, they're still delicious, and they're getting more money for them, right? Let's look at a capon, uh, if I can get one that's yeah, smaller. Yeah, and, and, and if you can get one is the point. Here's the thing, capons, like they have these huge breasts, and what if your family likes dark meat? <laughs> In that case... Maybe uh, two, chick- two chickens is a better solution for you. Really? Because, because capons really do have a lot of breast meat. But it's very delicious breast meat. It's different from like a chicken or a turkey even. It's very moist and, and got lots of flavor. And is spatchcocked okay for a capon? Absolutely. I'm, I tend to spatchcock. Uh, turkeys, capons, eat the chickens. They cook much faster, they cook more evenly, and they're much easier to uh, carve. Well, one thing I would suggest if listeners are going to buy a spatchcock, which means that you take the backbone out, that you also ask the butcher to take the breastbone out. Because with both bones out, they, they first of all, they lie really flat. And then when they're ready, you can carve them so much more easily if the breastbone is not in it. Huh. That's a good idea. The other question is, if you go for a turkey breast, is there a danger that it'll get dry? Well, yes. I mean, I think the issue with turkey breasts is they get overcooked. 
One of the things that I have found works for me uh, with a turkey breast is, first of all, to try to, to do kind of a savory butter, you know, with garlic and grated lemon or rosemary or whatever you like, and try to get it under the skin. And the second thing that I found is that slow cooking them um, really benefits them as opposed to trying to do them at 350 or 400. I think that the best thing to do is to try to, to do them at, um, at about 300. And if you've got a meat thermometer, it's really helpful. And you do it for maybe an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. And a, a, your thermometer should read about um, 160 at this point. And then you turn the heat up really high to 450. And, and you just blast it for about 20 minutes. So the skin gets really crisp and it finishes cooking. How would you cook the duck? My five-pound Peking duck, I roasted at 250 for three hours. Wow. And then I blasted it at 375 for 45 minutes. That's only one method of doing it. There's also the other method, which is that you blast it at 425 for about 20 minutes, and then you turn the heat down to 350, and it takes about another hour. Is there anything else you want to tell us about getting ready for, you know, a who knows how many people Christmas? Well, I think this is, I think that because we don't know that one of the things that we should consider is the side dishes that we're going to make. I think we should have two lists if we, it's only four of us or if it's going to be eight of us and then prep, get ready by once you know how many people it's going to be, cook the side dishes a couple of days beforehand because they all reheat well. There isn't mashed potatoes. Maybe you want to cook on uh, on the final day, but everything reheats okay. Um, and the duck, of course, or the turkey or whatever it is you're making, should be made at the last minute, fresh. Lucy Waverman, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Thank you so much. Oh, it was a pleasure as always. That was cookbook author Lucy Waverman. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Weekend Review is produced by Zeev Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.